Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hi there, thanks for joining us. This is Space Nuts, the podcast where we talk everything astronomy. Well, not everything because that would take us billions of years, but we talk about a few things. Uh, I'm Andrew Dunkley and joining us as always is astronomer Fred Watson. Hello, Fred. Uh, for another billion years, I'll be with you, Andrew. Don't yes, worry. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> microseconds, maybe. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, in this episode, we're going to look at uh, Saturn's ring formation. Uh, we're also going to talk about the inflationary epoch, which, believe it or not, has come from a question. But first, we're going to talk about something we talked about last week. We talked about the dinosaur asteroid and how they sort of surmised that the effect was to actually see the in, uh, temperature on Earth increase, and that p- played a big part in killing off the uh, the dinosaurs. But that was only one of two papers that have uh, been released on effects of the dinosaur asteroid. Another paper suggests something uh, just as fascinating. What's uh, What's the story here, Fred? I I think this is a really interesting one because, um, you know, we turned one piece of common wisdom on its head last week. This week we can turn another on its head, although this is fairly common knowledge, and that is that the dinosaurs are still around uh, because um, the, the, you know, the, the, the feathered birds that we see pretty well everywhere on Earth are small flighted dinosaurs they have so many uh, features in common so the you know the distant descendants of those dinosaurs that disappeared 66 million years ago are still around and they fly around through the air but um so so much is as i said this fairly common knowledge that the um, the, the birds have uh, all the all the signs of being um, descended from the dinosaurs but what is new is some work that has been published uh, very recently that actually s- shows that only a few species of birds survived the impact or a few species let me put it a different way, a few types of birds, because, of course, today's species of birds are very different from the species that were around 66 million years ago. But if you look at it on the broadest sense, you can kind of divide the dinosaurs, uh, sorry, the, the, the birds of the time at the time of the dinosaurs into two groups, the ones that were tree dwelling and the ones that were ground dwelling. Uh-huh. And in fact, we see similar things today. And sure. we have a few more. We've got things that live on the sea as well but it turns out uh and this comes from uh, all kinds of uh you know uh, studies of of the ancestry of birds the tree dwelling tree dwelling birds not the tree dwelling birds that's quite a different thing the <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good skill though tree dwelling <laughs> Yeah, I think, yes, it, it probably is. Yeah, it's probably something you do in social media. Uh, the the tree-dwelling birds didn't actually survive the impact, whereas the ground-dwelling birds did. And so what we see is the, the, the sort of lineage in the fossil record and in modern genetic studies of birds 
all we see as an ancestry is the old ground dwelling birds, the ones that wandered around on the forest floor and did their thing down there, rather than things that lived in the tree canopy of the forest 66 million years ago. And why did they not survive? Because the trees were devastated. Yes. So those forests, um, you know, were basically in the aftermath of the asteroid impacts uh, those those forests were either decimated by fireballs in the vicinity of the of the impact or by the after effects of the impact itself um, the first initial uh, effects of probably you know lots of particle dust dust matter and aerosols in the atmosphere and then the, the increase in temperature that we spoke about last week uh, they all contributed to wipe out the forests and with them the forests took the tree dwelling birds so the tree dwelling birds disappeared the ground dwelling birds didn't and that is the group of species that went on to form today's birds and they over millions of years uh, readapted and of course now we do have tree dwelling birds again um, exactly because of the you know the fact that the, the trees came back yep. uh, and uh, and so did the birds so uh the, the, the details of this are really interesting, though, Andrew, because, you know, what caused the forests to disappear? Well, I highlighted a few things. Uh, you can tabulate them almost by saying, well, forest fires initially. But then something I didn't mention a minute ago is acid rain. Of course, oh, acid rain right. is when yeah, you fall the acid. As we mentioned last week, clouds. it was like a nuclear winter effect. That's right, for a short time, uh, followed by the temperature going up because of the amount of carbon dioxide. Uh, and that, you know, basically just stops the uh, photosynthesis taking place in trees and the trees die. Uh, so it's pretty grim. Yeah, very, very grim. And, uh, and, and so, yes, one half of the bird population went and the rest sort of went... Okay, let's dig in. And yeah. and that's more or less it. And and there were a few other survivors, I suppose, um, not bird-related. Bird we we yeah. look at uh, alligators and crocodiles and, and the like. They, they sort of survived somehow. Yes, um, as did the mammals. Yeah, um, you know, yes, exactly. Survived as well, that small mammals made it through. Um, extraordinary, isn't it? Can you imagine what it would have been like, you know, doing a TV documentary at the time? <laughs> what was happening? Just extraordinary uh, changes in the in the in the the, the general demeanour of the Earth, if I can put it that way. What would have happened to humans if they existed at that time? Uh, I don't think it would have been good. No, and yet here we are. Yes, here um, we facing, are. Facing well, the same cataclysmic possibility. Yeah, actually, we've had a couple of near misses as well. There's a, an event um, you can trace genetically back. Um, and I think it was roughly, I've, I think we've spoken about this before, 10,000 years ago, there was a what's called a genetic bottleneck where the, the whole population of humankind seems to have dropped to a few tens of thousands of individuals. Yeah. And that, because we all share the sort of same genetic material, so so we've had quite a few, you know, quite a few near misses. But uh, fortunately, we weren't around 66 million years ago uh, to see the big one. Or oh, we'd be missed significantly be missed. now. We, we would be missing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, one one more thing about the dinosaurs. I read this week, Fred, that I thought you'd find amusing. They've uh, they've been studying fossil records. They found that uh, one of the feathered dinosaurs. Um, had dandruff. 
<laughs> well, there you go. It's a problem I tend not to have these days. Uh, well, interestingly <laughs> enough, it is it is a common trait in feathered birds of today. In feathered birds. There you go. Mm. There you go. But yeah, uh, yeah they they found um, dino dandruff. Dino dandruff. Records, well, yeah. if ever I grow feathers, Andrew, I'll look out for that. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> um, you're listening to Space Nuts. I think that's enough of that. Uh, with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, ExpressVPN, rated number one by Tech Radar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years, and I love it. When I joined ExpressVPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons, and there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked and a couple of years down the track honestly can't complain their interface is very easy to use their their service is second to none uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do and they were brilliant so you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all it's all about privacy uh, do you really want big tech companies governments and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity. Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Zero G and I feel fine. Space nuts. Okay, Fred, uh, I guess for a little while now we've been focusing on things happening on Earth with dino asteroids and uh, that sort of thing. And we're going to go a bit further out uh, in our own solar system to Saturn and look at um, the inner moons. Well, what's left of them, I guess, is what we're, <laughs> what we're talking about now. Indeed, what's left of them. So, yeah, look, Saturn uh, still a world that is full of interest, uh, particularly following the success of the Cassini mission, which wound up last year. Um, one of the great things about Cassini was it allowed us to study Saturn's moons in great detail. And, of course, some of the bigger moons are extraordinary places, um, moons like Enceladus with its ice fountains from the South Pole, uh, from a sub uh, subsurface ocean. And the biggest of Saturn's moons, Titan, uh, which is bigger than the planet Mercury, second largest moon in the solar system, uh, with its methane and ethane seas on the surface. All of those things are extraordinarily interesting. But when you look at the other end of the scale, 
in terms of Saturn's moons. And you're talking about things here that are a few tens of kilometers across rather than thousands of kilometers across. Things are almost equally interesting, perhaps not quite as spicy in terms of what they might mean for extraterrestrial life, but nevertheless uh, interesting in terms of the history of Saturn. So um, a study that I think came out about a year ago um, uh, looked at the orbits of some of these uh, these moons that are actually orbiting within the rings of Saturn. Um, they're odd objects, um, have moons like, uh, moons, sorry, have names like Pan and Atlas and Prometheus, very classical names. Yep. Um, but generally speaking, they're small and they, uh, they hurtle around within the ring system. Um, what this study a year or so ago showed was and, and this was from looking at their orbits, the orbits of these objects, they're actually only about 100 million years old. And that sounds like a lot, but it's actually within, you know, the sort of timescale that we've just been talking about in connection with dinosaurs. These objects are younger than the dinosaurs. Uh, dinosaurs were certainly around 100 million years ago. Um, and so it begs the question, well, where did they come from? If these objects are young, how did they originate? How did they get to be like they are now? And in particular, how did they get such odd shapes? Because um, some of them uh, have this sort of flattened shape that's rather like a walnut or a, or a bit of ravioli with a, <laughs> with a rim around the edge. Um, Pan and Atlas are like that. Um, I think, if I remember rightly, da uh, Daphne is as well. Daphne is a curious shape too. Another one that orbits within the rings. Uh, these things are only a few, you know, a uh, few, not centimetres, but a few um, kilometres across or a few tens of kilometres across. They're very oddly shaped. Another one that's got a strange shape is, is Prometheus. Um, Prometheus is... Um, not quite cigar shape, but it's longer than it is wide. It's got a, a very elongated shape, maybe the shape of a, an almond or they, something They look like, like they belong in the crazy section of the vegetable department. <laughs> yes, that's right. Like really yeah. shonky potatoes. Yeah, with a fancy name and a fancy price. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, they don't belong there. They belong to Saturn. But um, the interesting thing about the, the point I'm trying to get to, despite my uh, insistence on wandering around the houses of this story, um, is that it turns out that collisions between an earlier generation of moons around Saturn would have produced these objects in these orbits and really very nicely. This comes from modelling that's been done um, by scientists in a, in a number of different institutions, um, most notably in France and Switzerland, um, that the modelling uh, actually demonstrates that you can get these weird shapes from collisions. So what you've got to imagine, 100 million years ago, there were other moons going around Saturn, and they kind of their orbits became unstable. They started running into each other. And when they had these cosmic pileups, the byproducts were these tiny little moons, uh, sometimes called moonlets, that we see today, uh, whose orbits really started then. And that's how you can work out when these collisions happened. But the strange shapes that we see today were actually produced uh, in, the, in these collisions. Uh, I think the research has been led from the University of Bern in, in Switzerland. Um, and it, it's quite interesting that the, that the models that they, you know, that they were building of, of what would have happened to create these, these moons 
Um, usually when you build models and look at them in detail, they start moving away from reality. But they had the opposite effect. The more detailed the models they made, the more they resembled uh, the effects of, um, you know, the, the effects that we see today, the, the, the real objects out there in space. So, that, so what they're saying is that what we're seeing happening to the moonlets in Saturn could be an explanation as to what's happening in the wider solar system, wider universe? Um, in a way, that's true. So what um, I guess the, the bottom line in this study is that when you add in all the details that you know about in terms of, you know, things that have happened to a particular system, and here we're talking about the Saturnian system over a long period, and it includes details like, you know, the fact that Saturn is not a solid object. It's got a core. It may even have fluids in its uh, inner, inner regions which are which would have tidal effects when you add all these things in you get something that bears a strong resemblance to reality that's how astronomy works and as you say you can apply that on the very largest scales to the to the solar system as a whole to the galaxy and indeed to the universe as a whole and it's basically how we progress our knowledge um, sometimes we bark up blind alleys sometimes we uh, you know we get things dramatically wrong but generally speaking things improve as you refine your models you get nearer to reality well i, I suppose from the you know the way we're we're looking at this you, you look at these objects these moonlets and you see a certain shape but then you can look at an asteroid uh, or a comet and you know they've they've got some of those bizarre shapes as well and they get bumped Indeed. around a lot so that's right yeah it's an, an the reason it's a widespread phenomenon so just going back to your vegetables, the you know many asteroids are potato shaped, but a lot of them have got this sort of dumbbell shape. There's two blobs joined together. Mm. Uh, that seems to be because sometimes they collide, but they collide very gently, so that they just stick together by their own gravity. All sorts of weird stuff going on out there. Yeah, weird stuff. That's right. Uh, but the more we observe, the more we learn, and the more we're able to potentially answer questions. I won't say we absolutely <laughs> answer them all, otherwise we'd know what the wow signal was. We would, yes, and a number of other things yes, as well. Yes, uh, You're listening to Space Nuts. Uh, Andrew Dunkley here with astronomer Fred Watson. Roger, you're live, sir, here also. Space Nuts. Last, but uh, by no means least, because the word epoch is in this question, we are going to focus on something that's been brought to us by Jacob in Brisbane. Hello, Jacob. Thanks for the question. And uh, I... Look, I love this, Fred. He starts off with this line. Hey, fellas, love the podcast. You inspired me to get a proper telescope over Christmas. Oh, Yay! That's so yeah. nice. It is hey, fabulous. Can it's I return? Um, now, just a couple of questions about the Big Bang and oh, the inflationary epoch. Gosh, I love that word, epoch. I don't know why. I, maybe when I was a kid, I played a thing called epoch soccer game. But um, that's it. Uh, if nothing can move faster than light... Is there an explanation for this rapid expansion being able to do so? Mm. I think we've been down that road before, but uh, we're going there again. And uh, would we be able to tell if there was already matter in space that our universe now occupies, like an already existing universe that was pushed away or was, uh, or was it uh, definitely empty? Mm. Great questions and <laughs> good luck, Fred. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jacob. Um, I hope the telescope's performing as well as you hoped it would. Um, 
the they're great questions and you've answered, asked two questions which are neatly um, dealable with if I can put it that way uh, separately so the inflationary epoch yeah epochs a great word uh, Andrew and we usually use it for very to describe very long periods of time within a within um, you know some some even longer period of time so the inflationary epoch was a long period of time it lasted about 10 to the minus 33 of a second there you go <laughs> uh, it was very very brief but it was still an epoch mm. uh, this is something that we believe and have good evidence to believe happened immediately after the Big Bang, uh, something like the same time interval after the Big Bang. So the Big Bang happened, the universe came into being, and then over this fleetingly brief period, expanded by a factor of round about 10 to the 50. So that's, you know, one with 50 zeros after it. Um, the The reason why we think that uh, they're a bit complex but it comes down to the idea that the unit the universe is very very uniform in all directions it's pretty much the same whatever direction we look in give or take the odd galaxy or or 10 or whatever um, nevertheless the overall characteristics of the universe are the same and so it must have been inflated to a large size before the expansion that we see today kicked in um, and and basically um, caused us to see what we see and that's the idea of the inflationary period um, it's nothing to do with the price of things going up uh, which is today's inflationary epoch uh, yes. although that that stopped as well um, so the the question is about the speed that the inflationary epoch achieved. And it is true that, uh, you know, if you imagine two objects within that inflationary epoch, their separation would increase at vastly more than the speed of light. But the this does not contravene Einstein's special theory of relativity, which is the theory that says that nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. And every piece of scientific evidence we have supports that theory and says that, yes, the speed of light is the ultimate speed limit in the universe. Nothing, not even light, can travel faster than the speed of light. Uh, so how did the universe manage to do that? Uh, and it's the bottom line is quite simple, that Einstein's theory of relativity Re relates to things that are moving through space. So objects moving through space cannot travel faster than the speed of light. But space itself can do anything it likes yeah. uh, because it's the space itself that's expanding. And so it, it's not bound by any laws relating to relativity. And that's how that rapid expansion occurred. So, so the, the things within the space are reacting to the movement of the space and to the gravitational forces thereupon. But exactly. they, can't, they can't move faster than light. But space itself is independent of that rule. That's right. So they're just being carried on, yeah. uh, carried along by the expanding universe. In fact, we have something similar today, although it doesn't exceed the speed of light. But it's the expansion of the universe that makes we see galaxies receding from us because they're being carried along by the expansion of the universe. Mm. Uh, so we still see the effect today. OK, so that's part one. <laughs> I think you've, you've answered part one of his question. Part two. Part two. Would we be able to tell 
if there was already matter in the space that our universe now occupies, like an, an already existing universe that was pushed away, or was it definitely empty? Yeah. Um, so the, so, the so he's basically is, saying what was here before here was here. That's right. And, it, well, you know, there may not have been a before. Yeah. Um, one very prevalent theory about the Big Bang says that not only space and time were created, sorry, space was and matter were created within that explosion, but time also was created. Yeah, time began but, at the moment but, of the Big Bang. That That's one theory. In fact, that's what relativity tells us. Mm. Uh, but some people like to think that maybe time was there beforehand. Uh, so there are other theories as well. But I think that the, the secret to answering this question is that all of the space that we see in our universe was um, basically in a single point when the Big Bang occurred. It was what we call a singularity. So there wasn't anything there beforehand because there wasn't any space beforehand. So the space has expanded in the last 13.8 billion years from that single point. And, you know, what we see around us now was once upon a time compressed into a into a very, very tiny space indeed. In fact, a singularity. I think what... Um, what Jacob is getting at here, and this is interesting stuff as well, is uh, the question of whether our universe basically ex um, exists in a in a higher dimensional space. So if you imagine that there's a fifth dimension and our universe is expanding into that, which is possible, was there anything else in that fifth dimension before our universe came into being? The answer is we don't know. Um, we really have not got enough evidence yet to, to know that. We can think of some ideas that might be able to test it, mostly involving gravitational waves and things of that sort. But it is possible that, um, you know, there may have been another already existing universe in this higher dimensional space when ours popped into being. So we might have had to nudge another one out of the way. But at the moment, physics doesn't allow us to, to speculate any further on that. And, and it starts opening up that can of worms again about multiple universes, overlapping universes, yeah. neighborhood universes, uh, or we're the only one universe theory. I mean, it's just... There's just so much speculation and just no evidence to back any of it up, really. Yeah, all of which really has, you know, it tends to turn you into a space nut. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But we do, <laughs> love, our, we do love our space nuts. And, um, and Jacob, we do appreciate the question. And thank you for um, emailing us via sunny Brisbane. We, we appreciate it. And uh, we, we certainly do love to get your questions and hopefully we'll get them all answered. I know we've missed a few, but we'll have to do some catching up. I keep saying that, but we will get to them sooner or later, Fred, won't we? You, we sure will, in yeah. some universe or another. Yes, maybe in the next universe. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, thank you, Fred, as always. It's a, it's a great pleasure and great fun. And, uh, and oh, by the way, I want to say thank you to all the people who've uh, given us reviews on iTunes. I, I didn't even know there were reviews on iTunes because that's how often I check out my iTunes account. I know I've got one. but yeah. I, And while I was looking for a question uh, or for an episode for someone the other day, I just happened to go, I, I found all the reviews and I just started reading them. And quite often people say, don't read your reviews. But gee whiz, Fred, there were some glowing remarks and um, your cat, Mandu, has got an incredible fan base, I must say. 
We need to get him a Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'd eat it. He'd probably eat it. <laughs> uh, he probably would eat it, actually. If it was tweeting, he would eat it. That's yeah, absolutely right. But uh, yeah, thank you for all the, the, the wonderful comments. Um, we appreciate it. It's, it's fantastic um, to get that sort of feedback. Uh, we had no idea, did we, Fred, that um, people enjoyed <laughs> it so much? We didn't even know whether anybody was listening. No, <laughs> no but now there's at least 20. We can, 20, yes. we can double the number. Mm, it's fantastic. Fred, thank you. We'll catch you again next week. Great pleasure, Andrew. And my thanks, too, to all our listeners and, uh, and all best wishes. And we will speak again soon. Indeed. Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.